Hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is Rattlecast number nine for uh, Tuesday, September 17th. We already have Alexandra Umless on the line. She's our featured poet for today, so we'll get to enjoy her poetry in just a minute. Uh, but first of all, I uh, would like to say, I guess I should get the, uh, the stuff out of the way. The, the Rattlecast is a production of the Rattle Foundation, which is a 501c3 founded in 1995, working to promote the practice of poetry and uh, not affiliated with any other organization. And that, that practice, that sense of practice is what we really love. Um, you know, poetry is really not just poetry itself. Poetry is a practice. And uh, that's what we want to promote and continue through these podcasts and uh, through everything that we do. Um, so, so first off, I always like to uh, start off with a, a warm-up poem. And the new issue is just out, uh, rattle number 65. And if you've been watching the podcast already, uh, we've had a lot of haiku over the last few few weeks. We had Richard Gilbert, who had a long discussion about haiku as consciousness. And we also had um, Kat Lehman last week, who um, has a whole bunch of uh, Hyben, uh, a book of Hyben poetry, which is full of haiku. So I thought that we would give a soft landing to all the haiku people watching, because we won't usually have this much haiku. But uh, in the African Poets issue, uh, section of the issue, I should say, we have uh, these great haiku by, I think you'd pronounce it, uh, Zaid Gemidelian. Uh, there are eight haiku here. I'm going to read them for you in just a second, but let's read his uh, bio first on the back of the issue, because that's interesting too. So Zaid says, uh, can an African poet write about napping with a TV on? Can I entertain the lull of the afternoon drive home? Or must my words reach the ends of a sunlit plain where wild beasts roar into a golden sky? The truth is, I am a poet and I am African, and so I write as I am. I see haiku as photographs of the senses. As an African haiku poet, I look for fleeting moments of beauty in ordinary life and try to relate nature to human nature as best I can. It is my hope to show commonality through these human experiences or to simply express ordinary moments in new and interesting ways. So let's read his, his eight haiku here. And let's read, let's read a few of them. Um, and he's a South African poet. And it is really cool to have um, haiku in a... Uh, it's not the thing you think of when you think of uh, African poets. So here's some haiku. I'll read them twice like all the haiku poets do. Uh, retirement home. Wildflowers in a vase. Retirement home. Wildflowers in a vase. Um, let's see. Morning light, a boy band of robins. Morning light, a boy band of robins. And I think this is my favorite one. Well, there there are two that I really love. This is another one of my favorites. This is Little Ant on My Pillow, The Great Explorer. Little Ant on My Pillow, The Great Explorer. Um... Morning downpour in my lidless cup, tsunamis. Morning downpour in my lidless cup, tsunamis. I like this one too, especially because I have to drive down to LA um, for for board meetings and things like that. Uh, It's a long two-hour drive for me. This is 
How quickly the dragonfly flutters through the traffic jam. How quickly the dragonfly flutters through the traffic jam. So those are a few of the eight haiku by uh, Zaid Gemi-Eldian from Rattle Number 65. And that'll start us off for today. Uh, Let me read Alexandra's bio really quick. Um, Alexandra Umless is the author of At the Table of the Unknown, published by Moontide Press. She's originally from Long Beach, California, and currently lives in Huntington Beach with her husband and two daughters. She holds an MFA in poetry from California State University, Long Beach, and an MA in education with an emphasis emphasis in cross-cultural teaching. And her website is alexumless.com, A-L-X-U-M-L-A-S.com. And uh, here she is right now joining us. This is Alexandra Umless. Uh, Hi. Hi, Tim. Yeah, so nice to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm, this is really exciting and yeah, fun. Yeah, well, it's really my pleasure. This is the ninth show. I think we kind of have it all set up where we know what we're doing, at least at this point. So I'm really looking forward yes, to enjoying I... great poetry without having to think too much, which is, uh, it's, been, yeah. it's been a struggle the first few episodes, but we got it down now, I think. So um, do you have a poem to start us out with before we sort of chat yeah. a little bit? I do. Um, I'm going to read the first poem in my collection. It's called Mummies of the World Exhibit with My Young Children. It's on page 18. Mummies of the World Exhibit with My Young Children. Girls slink into dimming, enthralled by the play of light and cold on each case. Glass quiet and straight. How long is 1,000 years? Sheath of material frayed and fringing on the edges, speaking in threads, knees tucked, tether of bone and linen, are non-invasive looking. For the forgetting there are signs. These were humans. What is a named thing here? What rap makes arm into wing? What happens to the brain, they ask, if they can be made into mummies, suggesting that if I were one, I would be giving two thumbs up. Do you close your eyes when you die, wonders the youngest, who says she hopes hers will stay wide open, scrunches her forehead, amplifies their earthen brown. At home, I need to run, pushing into pavement, flesh vibrating on concrete and lung heave, my brain still shivering in its skull. I imagine my calf muscles pulling away, undone from their sinews like rolls of deli meat meant for slicing, like fabric unraveled for the cut. Later, covers tight around their chins. These girls so light with life, even when eyes are shut, quiet, preserved for a moment, wrapped warm in the stillness of sheets. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. That was a beautiful poem. Um, and it's a beautiful collection overall. I, um, the, the opening, uh, po- the, it's actually like an introduction that you give yourself for the book about your, mm-hmm. your background. And then you read or share that poem, um, let me look at the name of it. Um, oh, that's my Villanelle yeah, for Victor. Villanelle for Victor. Um, that is such a, yeah. a, 
I'm touching. I, I mean, I got teary-eyed sitting at my um, my son's oh. uh, jujitsu <laughs> class. I sit in the corner and read these books, uh, preparing for the show, and it's just such a beautiful um, way to contain that kind of sadness or something. I mean, it, um, hopefully, we'll read that poem later. But um, but really beautiful work, and, and the form is what stands out for me. Um, do you want to explain, like, why um, why do you decide to write in a lot of form? Because that's, um, you know, not something that's that common. Is that, you know, we just did the uh, Rattle Poetry Prize, and I am desperate for, for poems that are written in form. Um, you know, we, I want to include a few, at least in every round of finalists, mm-hmm. and, um, and just in the issues in general. Um, it's a, I, love, I love formal poetry, and people don't seem to write it that much. So why do you? I think I write formal poetry for the same reasons I write poetry, which is to have some control over everything. Um, it's that thing that Frost says that I keep coming back to, that momentary stay against confusion. And uh, I was telling my students today, I, I'm teaching 10th grade again um, after 12 years of being out of the public school classroom. And I was telling my students today, look, you can make anything happen when you write. Uh, you have full control over anything that's happened to you, the way you write it in, into words. You can change things. You can make things better. You can turn something that wasn't uh, going your way into something beautiful and relatable. And I think that's why I like form is because it keeps me on the road. It's like those guardrails. Mm-hmm. Um if I didn't have that there, sometimes I, I feel like I would just kind of ramble or go off on a tangent. And um, one of the reasons I like writing is because it gives me so much control over what mm-hmm. I say. Um, ho- hopefully I won't do this too much during this uh, reading, but I do tend to like go off on a tangent or ramble. And so for me, just having that, that ability to say exactly what I want to say and be able to craft it and change it um, and and have those guardrails up is is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Do you find um, I, I've heard a lot of people say that once they start writing in form, it's hard to write without form because you sort of lose the you know, there's a way that like having a certain thing have to come next narrows your attention. Mm-hmm. And then it makes it a lot easier to leap to new surprising things because you you come up with things you wouldn't have thought of. Do you find that to be the case? Absolutely. Uh I do find the opposite Uh to be true, though, also, where now that I've written so many free verse poems, because there was a time when I would only write in form. It's what I knew. Um, I knew I I was decent at it. So I I tended to just gravitate toward that. Then once I I went through the MFA program, I wrote a lot um, more free verse poems. And now I've gotten, I think, a little bit lazy Uh about it because, oh, writing in form is really hard, Mm. right? And if, if, if it's a form like a sonnet or a villanelle where you don't have a lot of options uh, and, and you need to change something, then all of a sudden you've got to rewrite the whole entire poem, not just one line and not just one mm-hmm. word. And um, that takes a lot of, 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 of mm-hmm. thinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it's easier to just have the emotion and to sit down and to write something really quickly. Um, but I do find that it's those formal poems that I, that I, always come back to and that I appreciate more than the other ones because they do um, maybe capture something of, of that mm-hmm. work that I put into them. There, there's something so, uh, to me, it seems like there's a sense of closure, like a sense of like completeness. 
it always feels like um, I mean, I love free verse poems, too. I love all poems. But yeah. um, there's a sense that a free verse poem sort of could keep going. And there's a, there's this sort of beautiful click at the end of a formal poem that just makes it feel like this complete unit that's done. And this is it. And you can sort of know it. So there's a gravity to it. And that's what especially for the heavier subject matter. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really great way to to express things through poetry, I think. Well, I'll, I can I can read I'll read the Victor poem uh, now because it is in the introduction to yeah, the that'd book. Yeah, great. Please do. And um, I don't have it marked because I wasn't planning on reading oh, yeah, it. You have to read that one. Um, that so good. <laughs> explain a little bit the story, maybe too, um, of what happened. Yeah, I'll just I'll just read this little paragraph before the poem. Uh, it says, "I often think about a student I taught. He was in my tenth grade English class until he purposefully drove off a cliff." I think about the windy road he took, how determined he must have been not to turn that wheel at the last minute. The toughest subjects to write about lend themselves to forms. For me, forms work like guardrails. They keep me on the road even when I want to drive off of it. What I found unsayable took the form of a villanelle about being in the classroom just days after Victor was gone. Uh, Because, you know, you go back into the classroom and they have the grief counselors and there's this empty seat and you really have to, everything seems meaningless. You know, everything you're teaching seems meaningless. And I remember I was teaching a lot of grammar at the time and I was teaching Othello and to just kind of go back to Othello, I didn't know how to do that. And so I wrote, I wrote this Villanelle um, for that moment of, of just not knowing how to continue on. And it's called Villanelle for Victor. Is it only in the introduction? I actually don't see it in the, oh, really? Yeah. It's only in, it's on page oh, wow. 15. It's only, it's only in well, the introduction. When you, when you buy I... this book from Moontide Press or Amazon.com, <laughs> do not skip the uh, introduction because this is a, it's, it's probably my favorite poem in the, in the, in the book. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So be sure to read that. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Villanelle for Victor. We studied Shakespeare, writing, parts of speech. You sat in the first row across, three down the empty seat, and I'm supposed to teach? You played in the school's band and loved the beach last week, but now we're here and glances drown your seat. Grief also is a part of speech. So as a teacher, what is in my reach? Is this? I covered adjective and noun. It's been three days and I'm supposed to teach. I don't want Desdemona to beseech Othello for her life and then his frown as he ignores her desperate, pleading speech. My students hold their breath. His hand, a leech, arrests her life as she lies in her gown. And this, today, is what I'm supposed to teach? The clock hands tick. It's quiet now, and each of us remembers quiet as your crown. We study Shakespeare, writing, parts of speech, but I can't speak, and I'm supposed to teach. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, now I'm really curious as to why the poem is there and not is that on its own page in the book. I think uh, I felt like I wanted to be able to explain the situation mm-hmm. of where that poem came yeah, from. Yeah. And just having it kind of floating in a book without any context wasn't fair uh, to the student or, or to this 
the students that were in that mm-hmm. class. And uh, so I think that's why I put it in the introduction. And I think that's why I have an introduction to this book yeah, in general yeah. is because I really felt that I wanted people to understand that I, I felt like I never could be a poet. And the reason I felt that way is because I thought, well, my life is pretty boring and ordinary. And what do I have to say that people will want to listen mm-hmm. to? And this is another thing I've been telling my students every day um, now that I'm back in the classroom is, look, it, your story is important and your voice is important and you can write about the little things. And because nobody's written them from written from your own hand except for you, they're going to be unique and different and valuable. And I don't think I really understood that until I was almost in my 40s. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I think that was a great choice because that really it's powerful in that introduction there. And it does, you know, the setup is really important too to that poem to know the background and, and your background too. I mean, it's a nice little essay too that starts it off. So, um, yeah, good choice. Uh, I agree. Thank you. Uh, do you want to read some more? I think, uh, yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to read uh, uh, on page 22. It's touring the B-17 bomber at the Palm Springs Air Museum. And this is a golden shovel. It, it was a poem that appeared in uh, Rattle's Poets Respond. And uh, it's after uh, Randall Gerald's poem, um, Death, let's see, The Death of the Ball Turret Gunner. Um, and I, I was basically at the Palm Springs Air Museum with my daughters, and they were taking a tour of the plane, the B-17. And I tend to get a little claustrophobic, so I stayed outside of the plane and watched them as they kind of made their way through the plane with the tour guide. And it was the first time I had ever really seen a uh, ball turret up close. And it's that plastic plexiglass part of the plane where the small fighter would crouch um, and oftentimes get, get blown, blown to pieces because of the location of where they were in the plane. And this poem came flooding back to me, this uh, Randall, uh, Gerald poem. And I'm, I'm going to read that poem first. Um, it's the death of the ball turret gunner. And it, the last uh, words of all of the lines of this, of the golden shovel are the words of his poem. And it's, um, from my mother's sleep, I fell into the state and I hunched in its belly till my wet fur froze six miles from earth, loosed from its dream of life. I woke to black black and the nightmare fighters. When I died, they washed me out of the turret with a hose. And as I was standing there looking at this plexiglass uh, ball turret, that poem came flooding back to me. And I, I had never really connected with that poem before. I didn't really get it. It was kind of mm-hmm. separate from my experience. And when I was looking at that, at, at that ball turret, it just all, that poem came flooding back to me. And when I got home, I wrote this poem immediately. So it's touring the B-17 bomber at the Palm Springs Air Museum, a golden shovel after Randall Gerald. They climb a slender ladder. From stitched together metal, my daughters disappear into the plane, a mother's intuition wanting them to sleep longer in their not knowing. I want to conceal how people fell from the sky, how bombs glided into their targets, how it happened in the daylight, so everything hit. This state the state of being and of war. And when they go further into the fortress, I can no longer hear their hunched tunneling. No oxygen masks needed. 
in this controlled air museum, its planes are still. We are in the belly of the third hangar, learning till we are sick with statistics. My eyes want to look away, wet with sadness, with the soft fur of faces that burned or froze. My girls sit in the jump seats, six feet from the ground, not miles like the eight to 10 men from the past who flew this earth in these plains, men loosed into war, one man who crawled from somewhere in this turret, from its curved surface with the dream of getting home, with the want of oxygen and warmth and life. Someone's son, someone's. I know this from Gerald, how a man woke into death. How am I to explain these images of black smoke trailing or the definition of flack or anti-anything? My girls and their enthusiastic guide pause at the plains, plexiglass womb, its nightmare nested only the smallest fighters. A single man curled knee to chin. When my children emerge intact, I hear the guide state how many died. But later the girls tell me they loved the plane. Over washed hair and brushed teeth, tell me how some men were thrown out because of their wounds, of how their friends deployed the parachutes, about the turret and its smallness. Tell me with smiles, still unaware of what remains. A poem, a person, a mess, a hose. And I, I still remember the way that they came out of that plane and they were smiling and they thought it was such an exciting thing. And I thought, wow, we really have a, I mean, they were young, mm -hmm. but our, us in general, um, especially my generation, I think has this disconnect of what war really means or what it is because we haven't, most of us haven't experienced it firsthand. And so we have this concept of war. And I thought, wow, if you, if you really think about it and you really put yourself back there, then war becomes something very different than a concept. Um, and I actually got an email very recently. Um, I had a professor at UC Santa Barbara named John Ridland who sent this poem to a man whose father was at Vanderbilt um, with Randall oh, wow. Jarrell. And he, he, he ended up being also in command of a B-17 squadron that was shot down on November 23rd, 1942. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he ended up uh, giving his life and he, he had, he wrote me an email saying that this poem really, um, was necessary in this yeah. day. Um, and I, I, I was really touched. He even sent me a picture of, of his father in mm -hmm. uniform. Um, so in, in that way, it, it's been really amazing to be connected to these people that I wouldn't otherwise be connected to through poetry. And I think um, I, I really appreciate Rattle for that because I've met so many awesome people um, just through reading the publications and online and, and um, being able to kind of have that poets respond and to comment mm -hmm. on, on other people's poems. It's really pretty awesome. Yeah, well, thanks so much. It's a, it's a beautiful um, example of what that form can do. Like the, the poem runs yeah. down the end of the lines and, and then the rest of, of your poem opens up that short poem by Gerald. Um, and I think that form was was invented by Terence Hayes, right? Um, pretty recently, yes. so it's one of the new one of the newest forms that's been around. 
Um, and I, I got the idea for the form because I was reading a book. I think if you are, if you like form, it's a book that is an absolute must read, which is Olio by oh, Tayemba yeah, Jess. And he uh, does wonderful things with the golden shovel in, in that book. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good suggestion. Um, yeah, let me just say, uh, if anybody has any questions for Alexander Umless, uh, just leave them on the live chat at, on YouTube and I'll pass any questions along. Um, do you want to read a few more poems? Okay. Sure. Uh, I'm going to read, uh, it's on page, oh, actually, let's see. I'm going to read a poem on um, page 36. It's actually also a villanelle. And um, it's about my children and, and how much they frighten me. Another one of those uh, things that I think needs a form to contain it, because uh, if you have young children, you know how unpredictable it is. I mean, even right before this reading, my daughter was at a friend's house and I told her, OK, I'll pick you up at 530 sharp. If you're not there at five, if, if I don't pick you up at 530, I'm not going to make it home in time. And of course, I get there and she's not ready to go. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm gonna be late the rattle cast. So it all worked out, but my children still frighten me. Um, not as, not quite as much as they did when mm -hmm. they were little, but still yeah. very much. Well, I have kids so. the same age and I definitely, I know the <laughs> feeling very well. Yeah. And you know, everyone says bigger kids, bigger problems. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm starting to realize I have a, a, a child who's going into middle mm -hmm. school this year, who's in middle school yeah. this year. And I'm starting to realize how true that is and how the, you know, the, the, the fear doesn't go away. It just changes. Well, don't say that because my, so. uh, <laughs> I have one year left until middle school. So, uh, I, oh, yeah, just I, wait. I've been hoping that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hoped, I hoped it wasn't either, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's without it, how boring life mm -hmm. would be. Right. Yeah. So, uh, this is a villanelle. It's these children frighten me. These children frighten me. Their mouths, the rune of bones that sprout like rosebuds when they're teething. Their crescent moon smiles bridge the afternoon. The dark mush held in glass jars pear and prune, long wailing paired with throated, labored breathing. These children frighten me, their limbs the rune of long nights without sleep. The blue raccoon circles beneath eyes. My angry seething crawls from its shell in the spoiled afternoon. And sometimes things get thrown. A glare, a spoon, a tantrum. We tiptoe around messes, weaving between mislaid Legos, bruises, knees in ruin. I have been told that all this ends too soon that I will often think back not believing how small they were in spring's coiled afternoon where seed sprouts, turns to blossom, sudden bloom and falls in sun, the necessary cleaving that frightens me, the what if they, the rune of dawn to morning, of noon to afternoon. And so I, I write a lot about my children, uh, because they, you know, are always there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're, they're always saying those things like in the mummy, in the mummies of the world exhibit, uh, you know, my daughter looked at me and she said, mom, when I die, will my eyes be open? 
Hmm. And I thought, how, how am I supposed to answer that question? You know, and even when they're really little, they'll ask you impossible questions like, like, what is, what is the meaning of, of the word what? And you're like, really? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So, Yeah. 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 I wonder what they'll think of it all someday. You know, I worry about that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I write so much about them. Will they be angry with me someday because of it? Um, I don't know. Something yeah, I think about. Yeah. Um, it's hard to imagine they would, though, because they're such, um, I don't know, they're meaningful. And, and they're not, you know, it's not like you're, um, you know, if you were writing poems about the, that you hated having kids or something, that, <laughs> you know, that would be something that I would not want, you know, my kids to read 20 years from now and remember. But but you're not writing yeah. poems like that. You're writing about me- no. really memories that they won't have, you know, anymore as they get older. And so you're saving those sort of special moments for them, I think. So I think yeah. they'll be, I mean, I don't know, but I think they'll be uh, happy that you did and have this stuff recorded. That that's probably the the greatest thing about poetry for me is I do have this record mm-hmm. of all of these kind of things that have happened, and I, I and and I can remember them in the way that I want to remember yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember when I got married. Some I, I didn't want a video videographer. Is that what it's called? Videographer mm-hmm. at at the wedding because I I didn't want it to. Uh, I didn't want to remember it the way it actually was. <laughs> I wanted to remember it the way I wanted to yeah, remember yeah. it. <laughs> And so I feel like writing a poem does that, you know, this is what I, this is how I saw mm-hmm. it. And, uh, and there's a record yeah, of that forever yeah. or as long as it, as long mm-hmm. as it lasts. Yeah. That's great. So. Cause that's what poetry is really for. And yeah. 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 So, uh, so I, the next poem I would like to read is a poem called ordinary ends and it's on page 44. And this is the poem that I was thinking about how, how ordinary my life is and who's going to want to read what I have to say. Um, And then I thought, well, let's write a poem about that. So uh, this one's also in form. And I actually, uh, I don't think this is any particular type of form, but I was reading um, A.E. Stallings poems and she used this form for her title poem, Olives. And I think it's a really cool exercise to take a form that another poet is using, even though it's not like maybe a set form, uh, and and try it. And I was uh, really happy with how that gave me the the container with which to pour this idea of how ordinary my life was. So it's ordinary ends. Mine is an ordinary life for sure. Most would concur. Small sorrows, only ones that I can bear. No rare disease, no sharp grief to endure or not endure. No stifling lack of air or freedom. No untethered need to drink, no leaden breath, no suicidal thoughts when by the sink washing the dishes, no feet on the brink of slipping to an early soapy death. Just small annoyances, knees that stay sore, a twinging wrist, Remembering that I've read this book before when halfway through the never-ending chore of crossing things out on my growing list of things to do. Small holes in well-worn clothes, I cannot sew. A fierce desire to swim against the flow. Two willful kids, a husband that I chose. All ordinary things. And yet I know disaster sits a winged thing waiting to whir suddenly. 
I hear its patient sigh in every ordinary moment. You know, so do I, that ordinary ends. All good things do. And that, that poem comes uh, directly before a poem that I uh, wrote after um, Trump took office. And I was thinking a lot about words and how powerful words are. And one thing I, I always do I, that I don't know if I should admit this, but I'm going to. I, I always think about, like, what would Robert Frost say about this? And um, his voice is kind of in my head. Uh, uh, the same professor I mentioned before, John Ridland, was at Berkeley and heard Frost read and had this tape of Frost reading and gave it to me when I was an undergrad. And I listened to that tape and that voice just kind of became part of me. And so even in my, in my, in the moments that I'm scared, like I get scared on airplanes. Um, I recite Frost poems. Uh, there are two that I recite over and over again, the stopping by woods on a snowy evening and one called one step backward mm -hmm. taken. And those kind of calm me down and make me feel better. So I was just thinking, what, what would Robert Frost think about all this? And so I wrote um, this poem to Robert Frost on a frightening evening. And it's on page 45 of the book. And talk about um, writing in form and having it be difficult. You know, uh, I think it was at the, the Wrightwood Lit Fest last year when... Uh, was it was it Ron Kirchie got up and gave a speech about that poem or he mentioned that poem um, stopping by the woods on a snowy evening and the mm -hmm. rhyme scheme of that poem and said that Frost had to end those 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 last two lines on a rhyme or the poem would have mm -hmm. kept going. Yeah. And so an example yeah. of how form makes you stop. Mm -hmm. um, but I had realized when he was speaking that I had written this poem with the wrong rhyme scheme. And I thought, oh, no, you know, now I'm going to have to go back and rewrite the whole poem. And I did. Um, and so so that's an example of how much work it is to kind of work in form and then realize you made a mistake. And if you want it to, to really be true to that form, to have to go back and fix something. Um, it took me a while, but I did it. And so this is on page 45 to Robert Frost on a frightening evening. There are still woods. Still soft swept snow. Our leader's tweets are scary though. Enough so we can't keep our ear attuned to nature's splendid show. What would you write if you were here? You held America so dear. Now fire and ice, such polar pairs seem tame to us compared to fear. No laureate could climb the stairs and help the swearing in. No cares to speak with sense. No way to steep our tea, then turn to our affairs. Our situation's dark and deep. We have humanity to keep. We're waking up and cannot sleep. We're waking up and cannot sleep. So that was uh, that story about changing form. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I do think another way form has worked well for me uh, that might be worth trying if, if you've never tried this is I, I oftentimes will put a poem in a form and then I'll take it out of the form and make it a free verse poem because the form helps me get those words that I might not find if I'm working in free verse. But then I want the freedom to kind of move things around after I'm done writing. And so this next poem, which is 
called Jane Roe, and it's on page 51. Um, it was an ab- it was a let's see, I think it's called a double reverse abecedarian, oh, wow. where you you start with A and then the line ends in Z and then it's B Y and on and on and then you go the opposite way and reverse mm-hmm. it. And so I had written this poem about Jane Roe um, or Norma McCorvey of Roe versus Wade um, when she passed away in February of 2017. And I had written it as a reverse abecedarian. And then I took it out of that form and I put it into free verse. And that's why you'll find that there's some words in the poem that maybe I could not have come up with without working in that form first. And I like this poem a lot because... It was the first poem that I ever uh, put out into the world. It was the first poem that was published. um, And it was the first time I really realized how much I could learn from writing a poem um, because I didn't know much about about Norma McCorvey. And as I researched her and kind of delved into who she really was, I thought, how come I don't know these things about her? Um, Like she was a like she was a circus. she was in the circus and, and, and she flip-flopped on all of these ways that she felt about things. And her history is really interesting. So um, this poem kind of came out of reading about her. And um, it's called Jane Roe. The name conjures fish eggs, alchemied in the ovaries, life suspended. You were impoverished, unwed, a freak show barker turned sideshow, your womb a plum, swelling too quickly for the ruling to do you any good. I can imagine the underbelly of your grief, the frustration of anonymity, of being so many things, champion, nymph, Sisyphus, sub-sister. Your life was simple, you said. All you wanted was to empty the O of your womb, to lay down, you whispered. Instead, opening your body to the world so that Roe was only case and not contents. Norma McCorvey, your alibi was an eighth grade education or eyes that were only beginning to shudder open. Clawing your way to the center of causes, you always ended up in the margins waiting to be born. I wonder at your choice of baptism, if an ocean would have been too wild, a church too still. There is the smell of chlorine as he dips you in the pool, your eyes closing tight, the dilation of your pupils undeceived. Death is not always the end. We bury you as Jane and Norma, the rhythm of your heart beating back into the universe, the sun of our wombs burning with you, the moon of our wombs weeping. Well, thanks, Alex. Uh, You mentioned that was one of the first poems you ever published. Uh, When was that? That was, let's see, she passed in February of 2017, and I think I wrote this poem for Poets Respond, uh, but I, I was new at submitting, and so I sent this poem to a few different publications, and I had a, maybe a little bit of a unique experience for the first poem I, I sent out because multiple places wanted to publish the poem, and so I had to go and remove it <laughs> from the Poets Respond, and I also had to send several people uncomfortable 
emails about, oh, you know, it's being published here. And then it was published by somebody that wasn't supposed to publish it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> I learned a lot immediately about, about sending work out. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, w- that probably was Mar- maybe March or February or March or two- of 2017. So that was the first poem I ever submitted anywhere. <laughs> I know that that's not like a normal experience for sub- submitting, but I, I got lucky, I think, uh, on that one. And then I learned, um, well, you know, I think I had been sending poems to, to, to the Poets Respond. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, I, but I had not for a while before mm-hmm. that. But that that was the first time. Yeah, that was the first time I had sent to like multiple places. And yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of amazing. So, <laughs> so how come um, um, it took so long for you to start submitting poems? Um, that goes that really does go back to what I was talking about before with the not thinking that I could be a poet. I mean, I, I really, truly did not think um, that it was it was like a dream or like one of those unattainable dreams, like like being president of the United States, you know, when you're little and you think, well, maybe someday I could do this. Maybe someday I could be a poet. I could, I could actually write a book, but I really did not think that it was possible. Um, I didn't have like, I don't know. I don't know if it was the experience or just, just not, I did not have the confidence, I don't think. And so, you know, you can ask my husband, I met my husband at UC Santa Barbara when I was 18 years old, my first day of school. And um, you could ask him, I was shy and quiet, you know, like voted uh, most quiet kid in elementary school and always kind of um, an observer. Um, I remember girls used to want to beat me up for for staring at them. And I was staring at them because I thought they were like great, you know, they were beautiful or they were interesting or um, I was admiring them for something and and everyone seemed to take it the wrong way all the time. So uh, I think it took me a long time to realize uh, that you just have to do it. You know, it, you, you can't sit around and wait for the right moment. It's it's like having a, like having a, a child mm-hmm. almost like if you think about it too much, you'd never yeah. do it. Um, so it, it's kind of like, a, you just have to take that leap mm-hmm. of faith and, um, gosh, I'm, I'm glad yeah. I did that. And I, I would encourage every, anybody out there that, that doesn't think they have, um, you know, the ability to, to publish, like there's a, there's really so many options now and so many places for, for, for publishing that, um, it, it's really a wonderful thing and that you should send your work out and people will, will find something in it to connect to. And, um, yeah, I try to, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to go back to teaching public school is because I felt this desire to just constantly tell these kids that you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And, um, and to try to help them get those tools so that maybe they wouldn't have to wait until they're almost 40 years old (laughs) to do something that they really, Mm -hmm. you know, love. Yeah. 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 There's a certain, um, anxiety in the book too about yeah. not having an interesting enough life or something, which, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it seems, you know, cause, cause every, every life is so special and you, you pull out these special moments of life throughout the book. Um, and I think maybe there's this sort of, you know, Hollywood vision of what a writer should be or what, you know, yes. what interesting things we should be doing. And, um, and, and you really, 
you know, show that that's not the case at all. And so it's a really powerful book for that reason, too. I mean, these books are grounded in regular life, which is the life that we we all share in common as human beings. It's, it's what makes it connect so much, I think. Yeah. And I think that's the poetry community is so wonderful at at like welcoming people into it. Um, they realize better than than anyone, I think, than any community that that what the our differences make make living interesting. And so you can get up at an open mic and read a poem that's different or read a poem that might not be the style of um, somebody that's listening and they still appreciate it for what it is. Um, and it really opened my eyes to, okay, um, I'm not the only person who uh, thinks these things or I'm not the only, I, I'm not the only one that has these weird traits, right? Or, or that feels like, I don't know. I think sometimes we can make ourselves crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I really, I don't know that going to open mics and going in, out and, and reading and meeting people has been a wonderful experience for me. Um, I always tell people po- the poetry community is super kind. I mean, I know that's not always the case with, with uh, some of the stuff that happens online, but I think in person, especially mm-hmm. um, it's a really wonderful, wonderful place yeah, to be. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Where do you, where did you go to open mics? Um, did you go to like the ugly mug or? Yeah, the Ugly Mug is really the, um, one of the first places that I went. And I, I, I was just kind of amazed that this kind of reading happened. I mean, I just never experienced. Um, I, I also went to the coffee cartel mm-hmm. at the very beginning uh, when I first started writing again. And there was all ages, um, you know, very young people, very old people, all in the same room kind of enjoying life. And, and really listening and, and giving appreciation. And, and that was an eye-opener for me. I just didn't really realize that that existed. Um, and I, I, it's too bad, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could have. But then again, I think you have to be at, at a point in your life. Like, I'm not a great multitasker um, because if, who are a little bit of perfectionists are really bad at juggling things. And so... When I was uh, first married and working, and even after I had my children, I probably, I don't know that that I could have done what I needed to do with poetry at that point, uh, because I was so involved in in just trying to figure out this, you know, mothering thing, um, which which was way more difficult than I thought it would be, um, and so I I think it came at a time for me when I could actually give it some energy and that, and that's helpful too. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Do you want to close us out with a few more poems? Sure. Um, I'm going to read this, this one. Uh, it's on page 59. It's after reading the dollhouse murders and the first place this was published is in, um, moon tide press came out with a horror anthology of poems called dark ink. Um, which Eric Morago, the editor of Moontide Press, put together. And it's a fantastic, if you mm-hmm. like horror, like I, lo- I love Stephen King, I love all things horror. Um, it's a fantastic collection of poetry. And um, it's called After Reading the Dollhouse Murders, which is still, in my opinion, the scariest book ever written. After reading the dollhouse murders, I ask my parents to take the dollhouse and store it in the garage. In the book, the dolls come to life. And the little girl wakes each morning to the smallest figurines, two inches of terror in different rooms than where she left them. 
One doll closes the curtain of the imaginary window, another poses hand over stifled mouth, sits on the couch, stares into air. I couldn't close my eyes at night knowing they didn't, not even if they wanted to. There was always a door slightly open or a mark on the flowered wallpaper that hadn't been there before. Even after I covered the house with a quilt and slept with the lights on, I could still hear the brittle scratches of doll, plastic, and wood, the baby crying from the yellow crib. Reading brought those dolls to life. They breathed and sighed and had to be laid into shoeboxes. That was the beginning. Soon there were siblings locked in our attic, then a madwoman, Every dog had rabies. Each storm drain contained a clown. Books hook their fingers into our eyes. We can't help but open their covers, unshuttering the crisp white page, the indelible dark ink. And I think uh, I'll read a poem, the love poem to my husband. Um, which also has an element of horror in it. It's on page 72, and it's called um, It Was Already the Beginning of the End. And it has a um, little quote from Stephen King's Misery of Annie Wilkes saying, I'm your biggest fan. And so it was, it was already the beginning of the end. In a garage in Isla Vista, you asked if I wanted to see your Stephen King collection. And being an ingenue and at my very first frat party, I climbed the beer-stained stairs to a room that held a bookcase with books. Next to Economics 101, Astronomy, Calculus, I found it. Dolores Claiborne, Gerald's Game, The Stand, I could go on, but the point is there was enough there to know you were someone I could spend the rest of my life with. King is part of our lineage. This fact would set us up for an avocado tree that refused to grow fruit, the cat that sunk its teeth into our arms, the blood of babies, birthday cake, the shift shaping of our own faces, teeth extractions, overdone dinners, lost scissors, front row seats for watching parents disappear into their skin. Even now, in the quiet living room, I hear the tick of the wind in the fig branches or the clawing of winter leaves against the street and know it's inevitable. Two of us will become one and then none, and those books were simply a foreshadowing of every hungry lake that will eventually drown us, every unwashed knife, every dressing and undressing, the fact that we will suffocate or starve. I am okay with it. Here's to heavy breaths, a backward glance, the wrinkle deepening across my forehead. I was so happy to get that forehead wrinkle into a poem because I felt like I had some control over it. Then I could, I could write it the way I wanted to write it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So that, that was, let's see, that was 24 oh, years wow. ago when, yeah, when my husband showed me his Stephen King collection. Uh, and um, one more, I'll, I'll read one more poem about him because this is one of my favorites. Okay. It's, um, you know, I came into the, the living room one day and he was watching, he was yelling at the television and he was, he was like, come on, come on. And I was like, what is he watching? A, a sports event or... And I, I came closer, and it was one of those um, shows where the sea turtles were trying to make it to the ocean without being eaten by the gulls. And um, this was pretty soon after his, his father had passed. And um, I wrote this poem. It's called I'm Not Afraid. It's a, it's a Woody Allen quote. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And it's on page 74. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Woody Allen. And this, this is a sonnet. He loves to watch those scientific shows. The sun burns down. Sea turtles sweep the sand to make it to the ocean from the land. He's worried. Speaks in several quiet no's. Because the newly born are in the throes of seagull beaks all picked apart and fanned until their remnant shells litter the strand of beach with death. And so I think he knows too much of this by now. He turns to say that only 5% of them will live. He's cheering for the five inside his head. Come on, sea turtles, willing life to stay alive when so much is already said and gone. He leaves the room to mourn the dead. Well, thanks so much, uh, Alex. It's beautiful reading uh, and a great book. I hope everybody goes out Thank and you. buys it. Where's the best place to buy it? Is it is it Amazon or is it Moontide Press or? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll probably get in trouble if I don't yeah, say Moontide well, Moon Press. Moon Press. But... <laughs> Do you know what's the website? Is it Moon... It's it, it's Moon, just MoontidePress.com, mm -hmm. uh, and, and yeah, the book's also on Amazon. Um, so those, I, I think either of those places is fine, but uh, it's always good to support small presses. Yeah, yeah it definitely is. And, and it's um, a beautiful book throughout, especially if you love formal poems, because um, they're just great formal poetry in here. Thanks, Tim. Um, yeah, so Alexander Umless, everybody, thanks so much uh, for joining us today, and uh, I hope you call it on the open mic still uh, sometime. Yeah, yeah, thanks for yeah, having yeah, me. Yeah, my pleasure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Looking forward to hearing the open yeah, mic Yeah, we have a lot of people, I should say. We have a lot of people lined up. I don't Yay. know if friends of yours, but but there's like six pe or five people maybe who want to call in. So we're going to have plenty of open mics. It's going to be awesome. fun. Um, you know, I, I have to say that when I was kind of asking people, hey, you should call in, you should call in, because I think a lot of the problem is people are, are definitely not mm -hmm. used to using yeah, Skype. Yeah. And uh, it's that first time that's super nerve-wracking. But um, a lot of people were like, oh, I'm out of town or... I can't make it. And uh, I was really surprised at how many people didn't even realize it wasn't a oh. live event. And so I think it, it'll be exciting uh, as this goes on to see how m much more comfortable people get yeah. with it. Yeah, and, yeah um, definitely. And, you know, it's archived and, and people can share poems um, and, and, you know, spread their, their good good news and good publications. So it's a really fun thing to be able to do. Um, and you are, yeah. you are one of our first open mic callers. So you know how nerve wracking it is for, for using Skype on your phone the yeah. first time. I think episode one from a pizza shop in Chicago while you're on the road touring for this book, right? You were. 
Well, I, 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 well, I, I don't well, know if touring, I was touring. I, were... I, I did want to, I drove across the country. Um, I was planning on touring coming back, but then I, I ended up selling my car and flying home to, to take oh, this yeah. job. <laughs> so it was a long mm-hmm. story, but uh, I do think like, yeah, people shouldn't be scared of, of calling in from public places. I think that would add an element of fun, you know, if, if people just called in from wherever they were. Um, like out and about yeah, on the street, yeah. maybe in front of, in front of the in front of the Eiffel Tower, <laughs> like like I think it, it would be it fun really to would. see where and, people and are. Just the technology is so amazing these days. We have to take advantage. So I'm so glad that you're willing to do yeah. that. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, and sharing your great book with us. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll pick it up. Thanks yeah, for having thank me. You. Good night. Right. Good night. Um, so let's see. So we do, as I said, we have a bunch of people lined up on the open mic and we have a few, um, five people I set up to do pre-recorded poems. Um, so we'll start with one of those as I try to, to message everybody who asked to call in. Um, let's see. The first poem on the live open mic is, let's see what we have here. Kashiana Singh from Vernon Hills, Illinois. And this is actually the second time she sent in a poem. So what I do, if um, if you don't know what's going on here, um, if you go to rattle.com slash rattlecast, uh, there's a link to submittable, and then you can submit um, an audio recording plus the text uh, and probably poems that have already been published so that... Um, um, you know, so that nobody says, hey, it was published on the Rattlecast. We don't want to publish that, which is a ridiculous thing, but that's just the way the world works. Um, so, yeah, so send in those, your audio and text files, and I will let you know. There's a big backlog. I think we're up to about September 1st submissions, because uh, I can only do a few per episode. Uh, but tonight we have, leading us off, uh, Kashiana Singh. And... Um, Kashiana is a management professional by job classification and a work practitioner by personal preference. She has a TEDx talk dedicated to work as worship. Her poetry collection, Shelling Peanuts and String Words, presents her voice in a par- as a participant and an observer. And uh, she's from India, but now lives in Chicago and bridges the miles by regularly etching her thoughts as poetry. Uh, she's in the process of gathering her second collection of poems. All right, here we go. This is Kashiana Singh reading. I write. I write my own story. I create. I create delivering a composition of myriad emotions cocooned in me, my blood and insides a twisted tale which descends into depths of union, of ecstasy, of forceful passage, dark tunnels, fiercely contracting into voids, an abundant fist cry delivered with respite. I give birth. I give birth to significance. I give birth. I am exorcised of pain and shame. I give birth to begin again. I am reborn into my cyclical ability to refresh, renew and reclaim. At birth, is the child coincidental? To the deepest moment of love, maybe lust, the curled toes, the tightly shut eyes, the pursed lips, churn your blood with a warmth deeper than you have ever embraced, chills your spine with a current stronger than you have ever survived. In a daze, you walk across the threshold and into the door of parenthood. The sign reads, buckle up, 
It's an amazing long ride. Growing up. During your growing up and older is about detachment. Easier said than done though the patter of your baby's first steps, the unabashed pleasure at the toddler's antics, the acoustics of teenage chatter being symphony to your ears, replaced and refreshed now, balanced with the sounds, sights and smells of the broader world, a world not as narrow, such that your children are now an extension of your ecosystem rather than the center of it. It is a freedom of sorts, freedom from the many compelling obsessions that is every mother's woe and pride of wanting to be present in and make note of every milestone or what you assumed were global events at that time. The eyeball move, the baby bum lift, the first step, the changing smell of the potty, the pars and the bars, the smile or what you thought was one, the sticky first kiss, the sloppy attack, at poetry, the colors and form that become the artwork, the hand clasp and the finger grasp, the voice breaking at puberty, the announcement of the first period, the prom preparation, the first tie knot, the drama and the debates, waking up one morning, looking into the mirror, I see two clumsy adults out there owning the world, conquering, defeating, being beaten, wondering, doubting, loving and discovering. The transition has occurred and is happening now. The pleasure is immense and as I turn away from the mirror, gently patting my eyes just so that the kajal stays in place, I know. I receive these humans as gifts to hold and deliver into the world, playing my brush strokes and filling in the colors over the years, that was how it was always meant to be. I was told very clearly that birthing is not about replacing, yet I do want to ask, can I hold you, carry you, kiss you, hug you? Can I hold you, carry you, kiss you, hug you one more time? One more time so I can bottle the smell, the warmth, the tender smile. I promise not to ask again. I promise to be standing right here when and if you need me, as well as for those you bring into your lives also. Neatly bottled for you and those you love will be the alchemy that works when all else fails in an inexhaustible supply and from that irreplaceable recipe. My confidence my care, my courage, my bones, my flesh, my blood. Playing host. Hosting you for nine months, the beginning of you starts with the sky, pouring itself into my womb with a thumping palate comprising of shades that transcend over nine months. Of shades that transcend over nine months, the conversation starts as you settle in. One, moving on to a sonnet of meditation. Two, salvaging doubtful nausea into glowing cheekbones three we both partner in the architecture of you four visible to the world by now we relish the attention five i live inside of you as you move within me six conceived in dreams you pulsate with developing form seven preparing to pause i embrace the flutter in my belly eight with a swaggering stride i bring you into the world nine and i repeat to myself my prayer for you one that wishes for you a substantial life stained glass in the summer frosted window panes in the snow crunching embers of the fall 
tears that leave salty leftover hugs, smiles which pour laughter into heartbreaks, fear that trembles into your confidence, family demanding you to run for cover, a mirror reflecting to you your ugliest falls. And as I repeat the prayer, you broke into the world, delivered into my heart with all that is the start of you. The start of you and an end to nine tumultuous months. Months where I fell in love with you, a guest embracing my womb, the start of a new musing as it negotiates its way into me. I yearn for us to begin again. I feel your gnarly fingers clasping my breast. I sense your sticky eyelashes tickling my face. I write my own story. I write my own story. I give birth to begin again. I give birth to begin again, reborn into my cyclical ability to refresh, renew, reclaim. I write my own story. Well, thanks so much. That was uh, Kashiana Singh uh, reading for the second time on the Rattlecast because she keeps sending in poems and we really love those. Uh, that gave me some, that was playing up on the max time limit for um for these open mics, I think I'm going to set it at five minutes, which I think I put in the guidelines on uh, submittable. And but doing a good five minute one lets me reply to all the Skype messages and chat messages. So um, that's really good that we can do that. We have uh, four, I think four people lined up to call tonight. We have Liz Gallo, Davian, Davian Tinsley, Rebecca Libertore, and uh, Wilmer Ruiz. So we'll be we'll be calling each of them. And, and right now, let's start with. Uh, uh, Davian, can you hear me? Thanks so much for calling in. Where are you calling from? Calling from St. Louis, Missouri. Ah, well, thanks so much for calling in. Um, and uh, do you have a poem for us tonight? Yes, I do. I'm trying to access it because you know, I wasn't prepared for the person to. Not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little confusing just for everybody at home because there's a delay. So I think the video is like a minute behind. Um, so do you have your poem up and ready to go now? Yes, I do. Awesome. Thanks. Let's hear it. This poem is called "End." I wrote this poem because I wrote it because it's a poem that's, you know, it, to me, is it kind of would be the end of a book for you as a reader, but the beginning for me as a writer. So, <clears throat> end. From the dust I rise, to the lovely skies. I'm still alright. Who's telling my lies? I am though not as poetic. My mind is just too chaotic. My spirit have been heightened, but my soul has felt fallen. I'm not a stranger to it. I speak danger fluent. Lies a tragedy I've walked through it. Problems of mine are come great. To put me in chains, end with nature and <clears throat> end with nature and planes. I'll break free and sustain to ensure strength through pain. I've come this far. I refuse to bait, to break or bend. I've yet to raise the bar. So this is far from the end. Well, thanks so much. That was awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was. Uh... That was um, 
wait, your name is way down at the bottom. Davian Tidsley. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for calling in and reading that. I really appreciate it. Uh, is this the first episode you've watched or have you been watching for a while? This is the first episode I've actually caught because uh-huh. I've been actually at you guys for a nice minute, but time was, was off. Awesome. Me. Well, thanks so much. I'm so glad you could connect with us and I hope you do again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. We'll give it a call to, uh, let's see. We'll give a call to Joshua Corwin. We'll try Joshua. Yep, there you go. I see you, and I'm I'm pulling you in. You're not on. You're not live yet, but you will be in just just one minute. I'll let you know when you're up. Let's see. There you go. Well, both of that, you have a great beard. Ah, thank you so much. <laughs> well, you have a great goatee. I used to have a goatee. Uh, I was looking at my wedding photos recently, and and I had a goatee. Yeah. At that time. Uh, so you're on video and um, and audio, so everybody can hear you well, and you're in your car, I see. Where are you calling from? I am, this is Josh, and I'm calling from uh, Los Angeles, California. Ah, so local. Joshua Corwin. And uh, I want to, first I want to say uh, that, uh, shout out to Alex. Uh, I'm really glad that I could be here for, also for uh, Rattle. Awesome. For uh, this Rattlecast and Alex, you're awesome, and I love your work. And wow. Tim, thank you for having me on. I'm so glad you could call in. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm gonna read a uh, a poem. It's in Al Kahima Poetica. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find the link, I believe, below, um, below at the bottom of the poem, and it's called 12:01 a.m. Okay, um, you, just so everybody knows, we did lose your audio your video, uh, but we still have audio. So why don't you just read the poem and, and we'll listen? Oh, okay. Am I, just, I think Sounds it's just good. a bandwidth problem. I think I think the video kind of buffered and then lost it. So, uh, but just read the poem; we'll be good. Okay. Okay. I can hear the shine in your eyes on the other end of the telephone. When I speak like this, I feel authentic, not heavy. I don't have to tattoo meaning in the air to know what you mean. I remember when you first told me, apropos of nothing, about the different levels of charitable donation. I was sitting right across from you, over there. You in that armchair, me in this one, our eyes... You said there's the donor who gives large sums and puts a placard on the wall signifying who it's from. And then there's the other one who gives, but remains anonymous. Your words hanging like a phantom. I didn't have to be who I thought I was. You were once me, once where I was. In that moment, I knew. Oh, thank you. Much. That was a great poem. Um, how how do you know Alex? Are you friends with her? Yeah, I well, I met her at actually at the Saturday afternoon poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I I in fact that I I studied mathematics, but I really got into the poetry th- scene in the last few months. And a professor recommended that mm-hmm. I publish some stuff and, you know, talk to one person, 
and they told me to go to one place and do this and do that and you just take suggestions and then you find yourself talking to really cool people that's that's definitely true that's that's how this stuff works Uh Yeah, well, thanks so much. I'm glad you could call in. And just to let you know and everybody else, for some reason, when you switch to reading the poem, I think, on your screen, that's when we lost that's your Skype. That's what happened. Yeah, so so the video works fine now. So it was just a matter of that. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm learning how this technology works. It's sort of, there's no instruction manual or tutorial about anything. So it's sort of just a go as you, you know, fly by the seat of your pants and see what, what happens. So, so that's how that worked. Uh, uh, but oh. anyway, thanks so much for calling in. It was a great poem, and I'd love to hear you. Um, Thanks so much. Yeah. Hope you call in again. Yeah, I also, um, yeah, and I'd, I'd also thank you so much. I'd love to do that. Take care. Yeah, please do. Take care. Okay, so once again, that was Joshua Corwin uh, just on the mic. And let's do another uh, of the pre recorded ones. We'll try to give a call to some people who uh, haven't been able to make it uh, in a little bit. But first, uh, let's see what we have next. This is. Uh, Let's see. This is uh, Alexi Savru from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and Alexi is a visual artist living in Kansas City, Missouri. He sometimes writes verse inspired by more romantic traditions as seen through his 21st century postmodern urban lens. Uh, he has published four books of poetry and humor, some as ebooks self published and through indie presses. He enjoys a good cup of barley tea. Korean food and any book written by Irvine Welsh. Uh, and this is from his 2014 book of poetry, Graffiti on the Window, published by Illogical Conceits. Um, here he is, uh, Alexi Savru with Ah as Our Candles Burn. Hey, what's up, uh, Rattlecast? Uh, my name is Alexi Savru, and I'm coming from, uh, broadcasting from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, down in my uh, art studio there. Uh, So what I want to read today is a poem called Ah, As Our Candles Burn. Uh, This poem uh, was originally published in uh, 2014 uh, in my first book of poetry called Graffiti on the Window. Um, the, The last line is a line that uh, particularly stands out to me, and it's a line that uh, was extrapolated into the whole poem. So uh, this is called, Awe as Our Candles Burn. Rain spits on the cities, saliva of bluster and foppery. Many masters hurl epithets at the eagle. Death is not without the first left alone from pain. The middle is not without the sides. Candles and goings are lastly becoming the first. Beginning, ending splendidly, comes the eternal epiphany of all drifting and traveling shrouds that even masters can't put raindrops back in a cloud. That last line, can't put raindrops back in a cloud, is rather appropriate, I think, for a lot of things, but... I remain an optimist nevertheless. So thanks. Once again, that was um, Alexi Savru from Kansas City, Missouri, reading Ah, As Our Candles Burn. Uh, Thanks so much, Alexi. Uh, Let's see. We'll try to give... um, Let me mute that. We'll try to give 
uh, Wilmer a call again. Maybe it'll, he'll answer this time. So I'm calling Wilmer Ruiz on Skype. Uh, Wilmer, can you hear me? Okay, great. At least that's working. Great. Yeah, it's working. So your audio is working just fine. Um, so where are you calling from tonight? I'm calling from Paso Robles, California. Ah, okay. And, uh, and you have a poem for us? Yeah. Um, it's called Half Here. Great. A breath of pachacor and orange pool heat from the touch of this moment drifting like air, spreading cinders of spring, call it pollen or vortex. Funny how chewing can also mean gone. Also sunlight through a rock, a semi-fenestration, an act of light at the end of my ass. Spit and blow and bend, boy gone, until I think of that glow on the Texas River where we felt like open windows. Boy, I'll never meet again. Fireflies can still feel the next time knowing. Like my mouth, even alone. You and my hand and my hand and my cheekbones and scalp and my feet and my belly and my chest, and my knees, and you all flutter. Ah, very nice. Thanks so much. Um, what was that poem called again? I missed the title as I was painting. Oh, uh, called Half Here. Ah, Half Here. Oh, great. Well, thanks so much for calling in and sharing us, that with us. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Um, are, are you friends with Alex, too? Yeah, um, I know her through Cal State Long Beach. Ah. I was a student of hers, um, she was actually my first poetry professor, and then I started taking a few more classes after that. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. She's uh, very insightful, and I'm really excited about her book. Very cool. Yeah, well, thanks so much for calling. She mentioned a few people said they, you know, if her friends said they'd want to, so I was kind of wondering uh, which of these, these callers were. So thanks so much for calling and sharing that poem with us. I really appreciate it. Hope you do again sometime. For sure. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so we will move on to uh, the next open mic poem. This is Timelines. Um, and this poem is by Aaron Lux. He's an author, a world traveler, and entrepreneur living in Hollywood, California. Uh, his poem is from the HH Trilogy, Volume 3, 99 Heartbreaks and Heartbeats, which he just published a couple weeks ago, and you can find that on Amazon.com. Uh, just look for Aaron Lux. That's L-A-L-U-X. And uh, here he is reading Timelines. Timelines by Aaron Lelux. What are you searching for? What are you hoping to find when you spend time scrolling down timelines? Shouldn't be looking down so much, should be looking up until we become the stars we regard as part of the skyline. Want to say I don't care anymore, wish that was true. But if I do say that, then that mean I was lying. Because the fact is, I care more now than I ever did before. That's why I ask you all the time, what are you searching for? What do you hope to find when you spend time scrolling down timelines? See, just like you, I keep scrolling through iTunes, but still can't seem to find anything interesting to download, even though I've got an auto-renewable subscription so I can download any song, as many songs as I want to. Torpid, sort of sordid, scrolling through assorted timelines, Facebook posts, Twitter words, and Instagram memes. But can't seem to find anything of any significant interest, which doesn't make sense since I love everyone and everything. Got everything we want, but nothing that we need. Seems we traded in our real dreams for fantasies on a screen. Forgot we used to be free, took a seat, and took this TV. It's amazing how they make miracles seem so easy. It's like these machines give us everything we ever want without giving us anything we really need. 
And it's strange that we've won every battle, but still feel defeat. We're sitting around alone with all these toys at our feet, but we don't want to play or socialize except with social media. That's why instead of going out, we stay in and order Uber Eats, feeling like a prince without a kingdom, a king without a crown. A princess without a queendom, bedazzled in a magnificent castle without a throne, that gets anything she wishes without a wish list except rest and can go anywhere she wants to except go home. Feeling like Prince in his Paisley Park state gated in, no community, just a eulogy by Frank Ocean told. And after all was said and done, 10 million spent on construction and all that he had left in the end was himself all alone. Dead in an elevator. Guess it's Faster than taking the stairs, stairway to heaven, a palace just fascist if missing a home. Are you missing your home? That home you never had? Are you missing that feeling? That feeling you can't quite grab? Is that exactly why you keep scrolling through iTunes? Is that exactly why we keep scrolling through iTunes? We're both missing the same thing and searching in vain, eerily ironic how we feel so alone while being in the same room. And I feel your pain, and you feel mine too. Excuse me for being rude, maybe I'm confused. Maybe we wanted to get attention instead of getting used. Maybe the intention was attention, but instead we got used. All this, plus I feel like a whore. Like I sold my soul for some toys and attention. And now the only time I feel anything at all is when I get a notification that I've got a mention. And there's so much more I want to mention. But then again, I guess what's the use? Why start something that's only definite as an ending, but I'm your friend, so if you want to begin, I guess it's up to you. I'm willing to relax. I'll answer all your questions. Let's trade facts, truth or dare, until we express all our intentions. In the pursuit of passions, listening to intuitions, remembering what it was to be human before we gave in and gave them all our emotions. I swear, something doesn't feel right. Like most of these humans are just programs. Who look like they are moving without intentions, drones on phones just going through the motions. Our thumbs blindly guide us down these timelines, liking posts from misguided idols that we don't know in real life. I suppose it's a perfect example of the blind leading the blind as we lose our humanity one screen at a time. But we're not totally gone yet. We can still come back. We still have time. And that's why I'm asking you while I still can, what is that you're hoping to find? What are you searching for? What are you hoping to find? When you spend time scrolling down science timelines, shouldn't be looking down so much, should be looking up until we become the stars we regard as part of the skyline. Well, thanks. That was uh, Aaron the Lux reading Timelines from his book, The HH Trilogy, Volume 3, 99 Heartbreaks and Heartbeats. And you can feel the beat there for sure. Uh, the, the cool thing about open mics is you never know what you're going to get, and that was a slam kind of poem. We've had a whole bunch of other styles of poems already. Um, and that's the really fun part. I don't read these ahead of time, and uh, I, they're just as surprising to me as they are to you. And that's the beauty of the open mic. Let's try to give... Um, um, Oops, let's try to give another call. Uh, we're going to try Liz Gallo again. Uh, she says she's on her phone now, so maybe that'll work. Um, oh, turn that down. Let, hi, Liz. Uh, let's see. Oh, we lost you again. Hmm. The call dropped out. 
Maybe we'll try it one more time. Maybe just a, an accidental button push. Hello, Liz. I hear you this time. Um, yes. So, uh, so thanks. And you're on video too. I have your audio and video now. Thanks so much. Let me just pull you into the stream and then you get to share a poem. There you go. Hi, Liz. Uh, you're on. You're live now. Thanks so much for calling in and for doing it again, um, despite the, the yep. technical difficulties the first time. Um, just so everybody, you know, everybody knows that you know this is new technology. We don't know what we're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Nobody knows. So um, there's no need to be uh, nervous about anything or worry about it. Um, so where are you calling from tonight? Um, I am an American living in Toronto, or ah. in. Time being, mm-hmm. and yes, I'm calling from Toronto. Well, thanks so much. It's so great to always have people from all over the world be, be calling in. It's really cool. Um, what brings you to Toronto, by the way? Um, work stuff. Yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's a cool city. Um, I grew up in uh, Rochester, which is not too far, so we'd go up there sometimes. Rochester, New York, I should say. Um, yeah, I love New York, actually. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, so, what poem do you have for us today? This is a poem called Here. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, it's um, on, I write a lot on Medium. And so this is on a Medium publication called The Junction. Uh-huh. So it's been published there. And it's also part of a um, sort of chat book that I've uh, I put up on Wattpad and have self-published and stuff too. So it's a part of a series of poems that I have. Cool. Um, do you want me to turn and show you the words? I don't know how well I'll oh, be able no, to scroll. No, it's in. good. Just read the poem, I think. It'll be good to... See your, okay. your face as you read, like a, in a poetry reading. Okay, awesome. Okay. Um, this poem is called Here. And just a little background about it. Um, this was probably not my favorite poem in the series of poems that I wrote this for. And then when I published it um, on The Junction, people loved it. And it's been <laughs> really popular. So I always kind of say sometimes you have to go with the people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is called Here. Here I am is what I said, standing at the door before you, who is not a god, you're the son of a woman. Here I am, here I stand, wearing words painted just for you across my chest, moving down my legs, around my back, writing the prophecy of a new kind of democracy, of the soul that matches my heart, it makes my head whole. Doesn't my body wear it well as I stand here and will go naked to the temple in the trees filled by the incense of weed and sweet, sweet teas that'll wash my body? You'll see. You'll see, will see is what you always say. Here I am. Here I stand, naked with bruises from a world that can be fucking cold. Here I am. Here I stand alone at your door with just a bag and a plan made in a few hours ticking away. My lifetime is over. Here I am. Here I stand. A new time. A new life. Just waiting to begin. This new woman that came here and knocked on your door and said, here I am. Here I stand. It's not help I need. Just recognize the woman standing in this place, standing here. Look at her face. Take it before it's too late. And she's not standing here anymore. Awesome. Thanks so much. That was Liz Gallo. What was that website you mentioned? The Junction? Is that what you said? Yep. It's called The Junction, Mm -hmm. and it's a Medium um, publication. So I don't know how. um, So if you go to medium.com, they have a bunch of different um, 
both uh, all kinds of publications. Mm-hmm. So you search the junction on Medium, and they have a lot of poetry, um, short stories, all different kinds of um, writing and uh-huh. stuff on there. Well, that's really cool. Thanks so much. We'll have to check that out. I'm so out of the loop. Like I just read submissions and publish stuff, and I have no idea what's going on. So I'm already <laughs> realizing that the cool thing about the open mic is to learn about different things people are doing. So it's really cool. Thanks so much for calling in again, Liz, and uh, I hope you call in again soon. Yes, thank you. Thank you for calling me back. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so I think we will do one more open mic poem before we close it out. It's seven seven thirty my time. It means it's the kids' bedtime. I've got to read my son a story, uh, but we'll do one last poem. Uh, this is Kate Bell, and um, uh, Kate Bell uh, can be quoted. She says, "If it makes me cry, sweat, or bleed, then it is worth writing about." Her work appears in the book Brown Molasses Sunday, an anthology of Black women writers. Uh, She's been published a lot of places like the Lily Poetry Review, MoCo, Caribbean Arts, a whole bunch of other places. She has an MFA from the City College of New York and lives in the Bronx. Uh, So here she is. This is Kay Bell. And once again, I should say, um, you know, she submitted this about three weeks ago. So we're about three weeks behind the open mics. But if you want to send in poems on the open mic, just go to rattle.com slash rattlecast. And you'll see the instructions for how to send a poem like uh, Kay Bell did. Here she is, Kay Bell from the Bronx, New York. Hi, my name is Kay Bell, and I'll be reading a poem titled, We Are Loners, from my brother. It was published in 2017 by an online literary magazine called The Right Launch. We Are Loners, from my brother. You told mommy you hated her today, but I knew that was a lie. You held that Heineken bottle tightly like your nephew clinging to his favorite blanket. Your sturdy hands were shaking and I witnessed the privacy of your afflictions in your dialect and sweaty forehead. There's a story to tell. I promise one day I will tell the world that all the odds were against you and that Barbados raised you alone. I will not leave out the flawlessness of your swaying body against cartel tunes or the codfish and rice with lentils in the winter. The liability isn't all yours. I know the pain rides you, but we are loners, brother. We live in a land where we must honor thy mother and thy father, or we won't live long enough to see our tears trace the city like bridges. There are no morals to your story, only a restricted beginning, forging an appetite for women and children with hostilities. But you are not the prodigal son. You are a father and brother rising before day to iron your clothes and begin your hustle because the early bird catches the worm and you are destined to fly above lifeless expectations, speaking the language of the stars. You were never an illusion or a fiasco. You have not failed. When you spoke to mommy today, those lies didn't banish my revelations. You wanted to be held for real. But instead, you drank your Heineken and sat down. Mommy sobbed in the corner and I smoked a cigarette at the table as our sister was yelling something about telling you to leave while our children were asleep in the back room. Who will tell your story? 
There are Bajan dreams dying on the inside of a man. There are remnants of his nightmares staring his nostalgic sorrows. There are marijuana-stained secrets relating to his insensible one-night stands, and there are people walking by doing nothing. We are loners, brother. We rip the flesh off bones of truth. There are hills in our backs and jungles in our souls. We walk on frayed ankles, born as Bajan pariahs and American misfits. We scream quietly. We know no mothers or fathers or the love that comes in between. No one understands us. I sung a black girl song today, but tomorrow I vow I will tell your story. So thanks again. Uh, that was Kay Bell from Bronx, New York. Closing us out with her poem, uh, We Are Loners, for her brother. A touching poem to a brother. Thanks so much, Kay Bell, for sharing that. Um, you can share poems yourself. Just go to rattle.com slash rattlecast and submit them. you got to submit both an audio and text. Um, and, and like Kay did, if you noticed at the very beginning, she introduced the poem a little bit. Please do that so it feels like you're actually here. That's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, not everybody can be here live, and Skype has its trouble um, with the technology. Not everybody can figure it out or use it. So it's great to be able to do... Um, um, open mic poems even when uh, people aren't here so um, just go to rattlecast or rattle.com slash rattlecast and uh, you'll see the submission guidelines for that and that is the show for today Uh, once again um, the the poet of the day was um, Alexander Umless uh, reading her book at the table of the unknown which is just out um, not too long ago from Moontide Press um, got a lot of great blurbs there. There's Moontide Press's logo. And uh, Alex is a poet from uh, from the current issue of Rattle, Rattle number 65, which just came out too. Um, next up, we have, um, well, let's see who's coming up next week. Ah, next week we have El Ortolani. Uh, he's the author of Hansel and Gretel Get the Word on the Street. Uh, chapbook uh, was w- one of the winners of our 2019 Rattle Chapbook Prize. And it's a book of uh, vignettes, kind of, about about the high school experience from both the teachers and students' point of view. Um, a really funny, touching, um, entertaining book uh, from Al, who's a, a funny, touching, entertaining kind of person. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see him um, uh, to see him next week. So I hope you join us then. It's going to be every Tuesday night at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific. Please do click the like button and subscribe so that... Uh, so that you get notifications when this comes on. And, and the more subscribers we get, the more like bonus features that, that YouTube gives you. So I'm hoping to get to a thousand. Then we can have things like, I think, um, live um, uh, closed captioning is available at a thousand subscribers. So that's always good if you can get up to, to levels like that on YouTube. So do click subscribe. Tell all your friends to subscribe. Hope you enjoyed this. Thanks again to Alex. It was a great reading. I can't wait. As I always say, uh, I, I listen to these again on replays. I walk my dog later tonight and I can't wait to listen again to those poems and uh, enjoy them all over again. Thanks so much, Alex, for sharing uh, your time with us and your great book um, um, at the table of the unknown. And uh, there's Alex. And uh, We'll see you again soon. Good night.